Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And if you would, if you wouldn't mind, uh, follow Joe and I on social media, Facebook, YouTube, primarily YouTube. We would ask you, uh, we are at The Frontline TV, The Frontline TV. If you could like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff, that would really help us out. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Camille Pauly, who is the co-founder and president of Healing the Culture. And man, if, if, if you're going into the breach, you're talking about America's culture, and it certainly needs healing. I want to just give Camille a quick bio for our audience members who do, are not familiar with her. Um, as I just stated in the intro, Camille Pauly is co-founder and president of Healing the Culture, a nonprofit organization that evangelizes and converts people to be deeply, authentically, and permanently pro-life. Founded in 2003 with Father Robert Spitzer, SJ, using his unique curriculum to change the hearts and minds and to build a culture of life. Healing the Culture has grown into an internationally recognized organization with tremendous influence in the cultural battle over abortion and euthanasia, which we're gonna talk about in this interview also. Camille has uh, over 25 years of experience as a professional pro-life advocate and has inspired, trained, and educated millions on effectively defending the sanctity of human life. Camille Pauly, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you, Joe, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent, Joe, Joe, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, we always begin with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I guess a good place to start, Camille, is how did he get, in, you know, started in the pro-life movement? Um, and basically, is this the ground zero battle for the soul of America? Many people say that. Frankly, I think um, this is definitely the issue, and it bleeds into many other of our cultural problems. So, if you could kind of walk us through how you got involved, and if you feel that this is the issue that we have to tackle as a culture and a church. Well, I used to think that this was the issue that we have to attack as a culture and a church, but now people don't even understand that they're male and female. And I think that's an even deeper problem of identity that human beings have, and it leads to things like abortion and euthanasia. Um, I think that the the ultimate issue, though, for the battle of the soul of America is to get people to believe that they have a soul in the first place, because um, a, a lot of people really don't even understand what their soul is um, and that they need God. And when you don't have that, you've got a culture that is just primed for abortion and euthanasia, assisted suicide suicide, destructive cloning, you know, all those sorts of things just come naturally. So I think the biggest work that we have to do is the work of the church to evangelize people, that they have a soul, they are loved by God. This is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Goodness is real. And uh, that's part of what we tie into our curriculum. It's really important to get to those philosophical and theological issues. Um, but how did I get involved in the movement? Um, believe it or not, it started with Gregory Peck. Wow. <laughs> He's a legendary Hollywood actor. And uh, I got to meet him when I was like 13 years old. My dad worked in PBS television and uh, I was starry eyed when I met him and I asked him what I could do to become a famous movie star like him. And he just looked at me hard and he said, it's not what you think kid do something more important with your life. And I was crushed. I was like devastated. Wow. I was like, well, how can you say that to me? And so one of my friends tried to cheer me up by saying, well, why don't you come to the abortion clinic with us and witness and I thought that's going to cheer me up. 
So I went and I prayed and I'd always been pro-life, but never done that before. And I thought in my soul, this is what Gregory Peck was talking about. This is more important. I need to do this. And I've been hooked on pro-life ever since. That's, Gregory that's Peck, awesome. the scarlet and yeah. the black. Yes. Scarlet and the black. That's I will tell you what's interesting. What's interesting, Camille Pauly, who's joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, I was an actor back in the day. And no it's kidding. funny. And, and it just it just struck me. Um, I was always told, like always, always, I thought, you know, genuinely encouraged. I did a lot of plays in school and I got out there. And something I feel like God spoke to me. Okay. I can't tell you when, in the same way Gregory Peck spoke to you. At some point, it just didn't become it became something that wasn't important. And I really wanted to be, you know, a working Hollywood actor. Like I had that view. And and as much as I thought I wanted it, I think God, you know, I used to say to God, why, why, why are you holding me back? And, and, you know, here we are so many years later, and I say to myself, well, now I know why he held me back. Yes, he wants me exactly. to do this. I can't he said, no, 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 you're not going to be on the big you. screen. You're going to be on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm um, so glad, and I can't think of a better life. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like I say to Joe all the time, it would have been, you know, my, my old dream used to be, uh, I want to win an Academy Award. My new one is I want to bring souls into the Catholic Church uh, through yeah. the front line with Joe and Joe. And uh, getting back to it, and through the pro-life movement, I, I will say this. Um, I was, I've like you, Joe and I obviously have always been pro-life. Okay. Um, and I've had the opportunity, uh, in the last several years to have gone down to Planned Parenthood in New York city with father Fidelis Mashinsky and the, and the CFRs down there and pro and witness across the street from Planned Parenthood. Um, it's an incredible experience that if, if a person is pro-life and they want to up their game, okay. Um, is to join groups they are all over the country, by the way. Uh, Bishop mm -hmm. Aquila in Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, 40 he, Days he, for Life. Mm -hmm. yeah, 40 Days for Life. It's, it's, it's readily available. I think all Catholics, to, to I use the phrase, up their game in the pro-life movement, go and do that. It's an experience that that will be, I think, incredibly eye-opening and rewarding. It uh, is, know, in, and they need you. They need your witness. Conversions happen. Women walk out of clinics. Babies are saved. It's a good thing to do. It, it, it's absolutely true. And, well, speaking of rewarding, um, what have you found to be not only rewarding um, give a couple examples to our audience at the front line with Joe and Joe on Veritas Catholic Network of some of those things that have been most rewarding for you, but then some of the, some of the challenges over the last 25 years. Well, the challenge is um, it, probably the biggest challenge is convincing other pro-life people that you can't just show people a picture of an unborn baby and expect that they're going to deeply convert. Um, it happens sometimes. My husband became um, convictedly pro-life when he was 12 and saw a picture of an unborn child, but it's pretty rare that somebody would change because of that. Um, people in their souls are so warped and um, deluded by this culture of of materialism and ego gratification, that it takes a lot more than a picture. You have to do the long-term, hard, philosophical, theological work with people. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. It's much easier to just show a picture. Um, we have to do that work, but we have to do more. Probably the most rewarding for me in the pro-life movement is when you actually have a teacher come back to you and say, <laughs> um, you know, who's using our curriculum and say, not only was this amazing with our students, but I didn't even know this content before. I didn't even understand why I was pro-life before. Um, I can think of a story once when I was, I was called to teach at a church for a youth group. And um, I ended up having only two teenage girls show up that night for the talk, for my presentation. I have about 20 kids who are usually a member of it. Um, I think there was a snowstorm or something. So I thought, well, we're just going to go for this. I sat down on a couch with them and I went through our curriculum on the philosophy of the human person, the dignity of the human person, um, you know, ethical principles and uh, justice theory. And these girls were just sitting there silent through the whole thing. And at the end of them, the, they were sisters. The older one burst into tears. And I said, oh no, what did I do? You know, and she said, no, no, no. She said, um, I'm... I was pro-choice and she said, but I can't be pro-choice anymore. And I don't know how I'm going to tell my mom that when I go home tonight. And then her wow. sister, little sister looked at her and burst into tears. <laughs> so I thought, Oh, this is good. God is good. And we prayed, but I thank God because that kind of pain is important for them to learn later in life, how to stand up for what is good and right. Even when it hurts, even when it's hard, those kinds of things are rewarding. I want to talk about <clears throat> a little bit how you and and uh, Father Robert Spitzer got together, but you said something that to be truthful with you, when I did research 
for this interview that struck me and you kind of touched on it now. So I think we could blow that conversation out a bit. You said just showing a picture isn't just going to change people. And I want to read you something that's on your website. And I think it's telling and I, I think it's important. You say changing people's hearts and minds about abortion and euthanasia takes more than bumper stickers, photographs and 30 second ads. If we want to reorientate people's entire lives towards the principles that lead to pro-life convictions and affect a permanent culture wide change, we must be we must patiently work with people to first see and embrace their own dignified meaning and purpose of life. And I read this, first of all, patience. God is patient. He's patient with me. I'm going to confession later today. Believe me, he's patient with me. That's the first thing. Second thing, ultimately, people have to realize that they're loved. People don't understand that. You said this in the beginning of the conversation. That's what leads to a lot of sin. They're, they don't know God. They don't know that they're loved. And as a result of that, it leads to abortion. It's easy to, to abort somebody when you're not, you don't talk about that because I think you're getting to the root of the problem. You know, you know like, it's, yeah, please, please. Well, it's also, it's also, you're absolutely right, Joe. And it's also very easy to see people who support abortion or have abortions as the enemy, right? It's easy to see them as evil and bad and the enemy. And it's so easy to go out and protest against them in a way that rages against that. But what's difficult is to see them as made in the image and likeness of God, the same as you and I, with the same desire for him, but they just don't know it. And this is why they rage in their souls, because they don't know what it is that they're lacking. If we don't address that, you will not convert people and you will not have a life culture. The fundamental problem in our culture is people do not know what will make them happy. And everyone wants to be happy. And we have to start the argument there. I mean, Aristotle knew this 2,400 years ago. He taught that happiness was the one thing every human being desires for its own sake. Everything else you want, you want for the sake of happiness, right? You want a, a new car because you want to be happy. You want to be a radio show host because you think it's going to bring you a sense of fulfillment, purpose, meaning. Everything we do, we do for the sake of happiness. It's no different with abortion or people who seek euthanasia or assisted suicide or gender transformation or any of these things. It's because we're seeking fulfillment and purpose and meaning. But we're not addressing that in the pro-life movement adequately. The very first thing we do at Healing the Culture is we identify with anybody we're talking with, either one-on-one -on -one or a debate or an audience of 100 people, what do you think happiness means? That's what we all want because there are different ways you can define it, right? Mm. We talk about what we call the four levels of happiness. Level one is materialism, physical pleasure, you know, eating a nice, uh, you know, crab dinner or, you know, the warm sun, you know, that's good. But if people are living for that, they're going to end up in a crisis, you know, depression, despair, loneliness, low self-esteem, feelings like you're living beneath yourself, boredom, right? And so people will move to level two, which is achievement, esteem, self-actualization through power or popularity. And there's nothing wrong with these lower levels in themselves. But if people focus on that as the most important meaning in life, right? Winning, being better than, being independent, being powerful, being popular, being achieved, right? Not being dependent on, other, on others, material wealth. If we focus on that, we will define every other important cultural and personal term in that lower mentality. Now, now I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. Camille Pauly joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe. Well, well I'm told by the modern atheists, the rich, uh, the, the, the Sam Harris's of the world. Okay. And others that well, no, your, your personal happiness is all there is. Mm. And like you said, they don't really define what that is. They don't. Okay. They, they, they recognize that, yes, as a principle, as you pointed out, Aristotle said happiness is ultimately what we want. However, they never put it in a proper context. Okay, will it make you happy if you get pregnant and you go and kill your child in an abortion? Is it going to make you happy if, let's say, for argument? I mean, people, like you said, there's many times make, uh, being happy. Um, the things that make people happy are pretty scary sometimes. You wouldn't <laughs> allow it. Okay, So, so and it's important for people to know because what you hear all the time is why can't you just be happy for people, let's say, when you're protesting yes, exactly. marriage or transgenderism? And you say, because your version of happiness is not an objective view of happiness, because you just look at it as a material thing. We yeah. look at it as happiness as something that's deeply, deeply spiritual. Comment on that, please, Camille The single, the, the, the most important way you know that our opposition is wrong is by pointing out to them 
what does that make you really happy when you are living for all the selfish things that come with materialism and ego gratification are you deeply happy now when we're speaking in a debate our opponent will obviously say well yes if that's what makes me happy but you know that your audience is cringing inside because everybody knows that doesn't really make you happy except those who are lost in a different way and all they need what they really need is prayer you know an argument's not going to help them but deep in their souls people know this doesn't lead to happiness and the problem is it's causing them to define success in terms of getting ahead despite what it does to others quality of life in terms of the ratio of pleasure to pain. Love is admire me and affirm me instead of a gift of myself to the other. Freedom is choosing anything I want before me with all my options open, regardless of the consequences. All these terms are being slaughtered, eviscerated by our lower definitions of happiness. And it matters. Camille, I want to hand it back over to Joe because I know we want to keep going further in the conversation. But is that part of what you just did was you're defining terms. And it's so important in this culture of lies, because this, our culture is right now being run by the father of lies, okay, is that people do not know the, the definition of freedom, the authentic definition of freedom, of love, of, all the, of happiness and all these things you're talking about. Uh, very quickly, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Is that part of your curriculum? It's a huge part about? of our curriculum. It's the first awesome. thing we talk about. That's so. It's the, it's the education on what these things really mean. That's what we have to do and get it out there. The you, culture, you have to educate people in the heart before you can convince them in the mind. You have to. Well, awesome. I think that's the revolution. I mean, we always say on our show, um, you know, politics is downstream from culture and you're addressing the heart. It's the greatest revolution. They say the furthest distance ever to be, you know, traveled is from the heart to the head. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why Jesus taught in parables. I've thought about this. He's the greatest teacher. And what did he do? He was God. He could have said what he meant. And he had authority, unlike I do. I don't have no authority. He had authority. But he put it out there and let you figure it out. And I think that's kind of what you're doing. You're putting out ideas to people and allowing them to question themselves. Because ultimately, our country has issue with authority. We're... We're, we're, we're individuals, Americans. Americanism is about being an individual, you know, forging your own way. But there's some universal truths that apply to you, whether you acknowledge them or not. And you're allowing these people, I feel like Mitch Pacwa, this is how he kind of talks. He says, you're allowing them to figure it out for themselves. Talk about that, because I think that's a very important approach. It's, it's, it's sly but it's important yeah, and it's, it's effective. Take, take the question, this one always comes up in debates, take the question on rape and incest. You'll often get that, you know, well, what about rape and incest? You know, a mother is, a woman is raped, she's bearing a child, you, how can you force her to bring that baby into the world? The last thing I'm gonna do is say that child has a right to life, he's a human being and you don't have the right to kill it. Because that's not where they're coming from. Where are they coming from when they ask that question? The vast majority of people are coming from a place of compassion. Right? They just don't know what compassion is because they don't know what, what love is. They don't know who they are. So the first thing I'm going to say is, it sounds to me like the reason why you want abortion legal is because you care about the woman. You care about the mother. You don't want her to suffer. And they'll say yes. And then they'll say, okay, but let's, let's break that apart. Do you not want her to suffer just on kind of a surface level? Or would you prefer it if she didn't have to suffer at the deepest of her core, if we could help her, her with her suffering at the deepest level? And they'll usually say, well, yeah, if I could. And I'll say, well, wait a minute then. If this is a human person, and killing a human person is bad for our soul. How does that help the mother? So you have to start walking in their door. And then they'll usually say, well, I don't think it's a human person. Okay, but can you at least agree with me that if it is a human person, this is not going to solve her problem. We need to, we need to do better than that. Right? Then you can address the issue of whether or not it's a human person. But the first thing you need to do is connect with people that the reason why you want to do this in the first place is because you want people to be happy. You want to love the woman. You have compassion for her. You care for her. That's a good thing. But some Sometimes suffering is necessary to get to deeper love so that she doesn't imitate what her attacker did to her. That's a tough message to do. But what do you really want for her? I don't believe that what you really want for her is just to erase her problem and pretend like nothing ever happened. I don't believe that. I think you're better than that. But that's what we have to challenge people to. We have to elevate people, especially our opponents. You know, you're better than that. You want more for people than that. I don't believe that you just want to condemn people into a life where they deny what they did, ignore their pain and suffering, you know, live forever in this level of happiness that's strictly about me and selfishness and what I get and what I want. I don't believe for a minute that that's what you really want. I think you're afraid. And Camille Foley, there you go being on. 
There you go being a naughty Catholic again, <laughs> using the word suffering when it comes to our culture, okay? Because our culture doesn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it, anything about suffering. It. Let's segue <clears throat> from there, talking about suffering, because the, the argument you hear, the same thing we said in, in the last uh, few minutes ago about people yell, uh, oh, well, why can't you just be happy for people? Okay, so the same kind of emotional argument um, people will apply to both abortion and euthanasia. Okay, well, do you want to see that person suffer as though if I don't want to kill that person later at that later stage of life, somehow I'm not being compassionate, that to be compassionate is to kill them, okay, is to euthanize them. And that's part of what you're doing, too, because we have to get it through our head. It, you know, yes, on this program, Camille, uh, Joe and I primarily blame the left for our problems. The left will convince you that human life is worthless, okay, both at the beginning and at the very end. So you have um, a, univer a universal human rights principle taught by healing the culture, your organization. How do you apply that to, to abortion and euthanasia? I'll tell you that, but first of all, I condemn the right more than I condemn the left. The left doesn't know what they don't know. The right does, and we do nothing to lift a finger. We don't lift a finger to help people to understand the truth about their dignity because we're afraid of, of, of offending them. It's it's really on us. It's our fault, and I know you know that. But, no, no, but Joe, 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 I was going to say, Camille's definitely been watching the front line with Joe and Joe because we say that all, <laughs> we say that all the time, is that we blame the left for our problems, but we, we, we even more so, I didn't get into it, but even more so for the reason you just said, yeah. because the right... Oh, we're pro-life, vote for me. We're pro-family, vote for me. And they don't do a damn thing. So anyway, yeah. let me shut up. And Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, you raised such a good point on the issue of suffering. Suffering is huge because if people don't understand their own suffering, they end up with terrible solutions to their suffering. Abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, cloning, all of these are in response to human suffering. And then we try to control the suffering. We try to ameliorate or eradicate suffering, and then we don't get any love out of it. There's no love to our response at all. Here's the problem. Just as there are four different ways to interpret happiness, there's four different ways to interpret suffering. On that lowest materialistic level, suffering is meaningless. It has no purpose at all. It gets in the way of my material pleasure. On that second level, suffering is useful if I can control it, right? If it can make me more powerful or more admired or more popular because I write a book about my suffering and everybody thinks I'm great, right? But on level three, which is the level of gift of self and love, suffering has a much deeper meaning. Through my suffering, I can become more understanding of others. I can forgive people because I see now what they have suffered, so I understand them more. I can turn to God more. That's level four suffering. And my level four suffering, right? Happiness level four is gift of self to, to God and allowing him to come to me. And so in that level four, I recognize through my suffering, it can have a redemptive purpose, not just for me, but for somebody else. And we lose all that when we say to somebody, oh, you're suffering, you're at the end of life, you're gonna die, your life has no purpose or meaning, so you might as well kill yourself. Whoa, we're wasting so much opportunity for these people to come to, for some of them, for the first time in their lives, a real sense of what meaning in life is all about, right? Forgiveness and love and understanding and faith. And often, if you think about this, it is most often in my moments of deepest suffering that I learn those lessons of love, that I experience the compassion of others, that I see the generosity, the radical generosity in my brothers and sisters who come together to help me. That's when those things happen. A world of no suffering people is a world of a bunch of egotistical, self-centered people who are all scrambling for themselves and have no care and concern for the other. Well, you I'll just tell describe you, I modern mean, America. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I mean, that's what Christ did. He gave meaning to suffering. That's one of the unique aspects of Catholicism. And this is why the world can't grasp what like to euthanize someone in their mind, they're being merciful. Yes, I never want to go through that. I yes. remember when John Paul was at the, the last stage of his life. I think that was one of the most powerful witnesses ever. And this man was brilliant. I could argue that he was the most significant figure of the 20th century. And there are secular people who would say that, but the greatest witness was he didn't give up. He didn't See, give up. You know, I was please. there in Toronto at World Youth Day when he was there in his wheelchair with the table in front of it, stooped over, and he was already um, pretty far in his debilitation. And there he was, you know, I was with a million other people, and he's way off in the stage on it, sitting in his wheelchair, and we're all screaming, you know, JP2, we love you. JP2. And there he is. And, and anybody looking at this on television would have said, why doesn't that guy just end it? You know, he, he's, he looks pathetic. He's scrunched over. He can hardly move. He can barely talk. He can't understand. You know what he did instead? He starts pounding on his table, right? JP2. 
we love you. And he starts saying, JP too loves you too. Right. And what's the <laughs> message that was so inspiring to me because what it said was, it doesn't matter what my debilitation is in my body. It matters what your debilitation is in your soul. And through my weakness, I'm going to show you that you can be loved deeply despite my, my physical weakness. That meant something. And that's powerful. It is oftentimes at the end of life that people are most valuable to the culture because they teach us how to love and they invite us into their love through our compassion. That's also, difficult. I, it is very because no one wants to suffer. No. It also suffering gives us the person. If we believe in Christ, he's sanctifying us. You see, we're not ready yet. I used to say this, like, I mean, I've been walking with God, you know, for three decades to be truthful with you. And I used to say, I get it. I get it. I always wanted to get married, to be honest with you. I didn't get married till I was 43. I always wanted to get married. And I used to say, I get it. No, I don't. No. <laughs> you see, like, like this is where God sees the big picture. Suffering, if yeah. we trust him, he's forming us. You see, only Christianity and Catholicism specifically teaches that. And this is the, the one aspect of life that people don't want to hear. And I'm going to say it. Everyone suffers whether you're smart, you're simple-minded, rich, you could bench press 500 pounds, you went to MIT, everyone. And that's why the world is lost, because suffering backs you into a corner. But Christ says, no, there's meaning to it. And that's the differentiator. And when you touch that, you get it. It's absolutely right. You know, I didn't get married till I was 38 and I didn't want to get married because I saw marriage as a box. I'm like, I'm not going in that little tiny box that's going to restrict me and I can't do what I want. And then I met my husband, Michael, and I was like, oh, he's so wonderful. And, you know, <laughs> I fell in love and that was it. And I got married and I realized marriage is not a box. When you give yourself to the other and you let go of your selfishness and marriage, if you're really in a good marriage that makes you do that, your world blows open. You're suddenly able to do things you never thought you could because you were so afraid. It's fear that keeps us back. Back, fear of commitment, fear, fear of responsibility, fear of, of, you know, obligation to the other. That's what holds us back and keeps us in a little box. You know, and then when I was 41, I had my first child. <laughs> Talk about figuring out that you really were selfish to begin with, right? I thought I was such a generous person and patient. And then you have a kid and you're like, <laughs> I didn't know what patience was. So, it, you know, these things that commit and restrict and oblige us to others, those are the things that set us free. And it's so hard for our culture to learn that lesson. You're right. And it's funny you say that because I used to, as a single person, do a lot of things that like charitable things. And people would say, oh, you're such a good person. I have five kids and I'm 51 and I know how selfish I am. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's easy to do some of those other things. And it's hard to do like God shows you. This is how much he knows you. He knows us. We just have to trust him. You know what the message of this is, John Joe? The message of this is for your listeners, be not afraid. Don't be afraid of your opposition in abortion. You don't know what to say in an argument on abortion? Then start talking to them about who they are and how they shouldn't be afraid of their suffering and how dignified they are. Stop being afraid and shaming our opposition. Love them. See the beauty in them. They're just like you. They're just afraid of suffering. The first time I ever went to an abortion clinic with, uh, I was invited by a Franciscan friar, the renewal, a friend of ours. Okay. And it was up in the Bronx along the lines of what you're saying, Camille Pauly, who's joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic network. I watched, he, 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 we were sitting around the night before we went having something to eat and they were talking about it. And I said, I don't know if I could go there. I said, because I want to punch somebody in the face. I, I was being honest. I'm not a tough guy. So I say, I want to punch somebody in the face. And father looked at me and says, that's all the more reason you should go. And what I saw, and the reason why I'm bringing wow. this up, is I was, I was in the rear with the gear. I, was, I had my rosary, and I was praying with somebody else, and I was just there praying the rosary. But I was watching what father was doing. And this woman, who basically is running the show out on the sidewalk, making sure the women can have the access to, to the front door of the abortion mill and all that kind of stuff, you know, just outwardly looked like a very broken woman. Father, who, who, like, she was right in father's face and pointing and all that kind of stuff. And father just kept whispering in her ear, I know that you're broken. 
I know that you're hurting. I love you. Jesus loves you. Because I had asked him, I said, what were you, if you don't mind my ass, what were you saying to her? And that's what he was saying to her. You know that he planted a seed with her. She expects hatred in response. That's what all right to the things the that she's doing. And what she what she experienced through father, okay, was the love of Christ. Not condemnation, not judgment, was I know you're hurting. I know you're broken. I'm here for you and I love you. Camille Pauly, let me just leave it there for a second. I got a little long-winded. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. We'll let you respond to that when we come back from the break. Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. We have Camille Pauly with us, and she is the co-founder and president of Healing the Culture. And that's what we're talking about primarily, abortion, euthanasia, and fighting this culture war on the Veritas Catholic Network. Please stick around. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello, way, way, way in the breach of this culture war. We are with Camille Pauly, who is the co-founder and president of Healing the Culture. We're talking about the culture war. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about euthanasia. Camille, I did cut you off for the break. I know you uh, wanted to comment maybe on what the, the little uh, anecdote I told about. I was uh, just going to say that uh, what is what is the best way for us to figure out what it is a person needs the most? when we're talking with them about something as deep and serious as abortion or euthanasia, prayer. You have to pray for them or you're only gonna see yourself in your argument instead of seeing them and what they need. That's the difference. Somebody who sees their own argument is not a good pro-life advocate. You can't see just your argument. You need to see what do they need, right? What's gonna convince them? And that's mm -hmm. where you start with. That's an act of generosity. The other is really an act of selfishness. My argument, I gotta defend my argument. Right? No, it's not about you. It's not about your argument, it's about them and what they need and how to convince them and convert them. Yeah, right. So that's, that right. was a beautiful story about Father. Well, oh, Father, it was, it was awesome. It was, awe, it was yeah. awe inspiring to watch him because I don't, I'm working on it and God's working on me as an individual, um, you know, and I hope that I'm achieving that level of love um, that he showed. Uh, it's, it's not easy to do, especially because we are in fact, as you know, in a war. Joe Resinello, I cut you off. <clears throat> no, it's okay. I, I just wanna just comment on what you guys were talking about. It's about grace. I mean, yeah. like everything is grace, you know, like it's very easy because I would get into arguments a lot myself. Um, it's pride. I want to win the argument. It's not about me. It's about grace. Everything is grace. Like we all we have to do is just say yes. Mm -hmm. And and then those graces come. I think especially very gifted people like yourself, Camille, I'll be honest with you. I'm very impressed. You're a very intelligent woman and it's, it shows, and I want to get into Father Robert Spitzer, too, who is also an incredibly gifted person, but it's not the gifts. It's the grace. That's how we change the world. God changes the world. I don't do anything. Talk about grace in this because yeah. you're showing grace. It's easy to get caught up, you know, because that's pride. 
And that's not going to do anything. Yeah, ultimately, I don't do anything to convert a person to pro-life. I share with them on who they are. I try to reach them at their depths of where they're suffering the most. And then I give them the story, right? The arguments that they need to hear the most to convince them up here as well as in here. But the rest of it is up to God. If I'm not letting that grace in, if I'm not being a graceful person, nothing's going to work. Because what they'll see instead is condemnation. You don't understand them. You don't really know who they are and what they need. So without inviting grace into it, it doesn't work. Let me tell you a little story of what I mean about, about how we do this and why we do this the way we do Healing the culture is very unique in the kind of work we do and how we do this. You know, take one of the principles that Father Spitzer has, um, you know, expressed in this curriculum is the principle of the ends don't justify the means. It's a, one of the most basic principles of ethics. Without this, you, you can't have any ethical system at all, right? If you just start, you know, doing, using any evil method to get to a good end, Right, you're undermining your whole ethical purpose, which is to do the good. So, you know, the, the ends don't justify the means is a critical principle. And here's where it applies to the pro-life movement. We say, why would you not want to use an evil means to get to a good end? Because once you use an evil method, you're unraveling the good you're trying to do. For example, it's Father's Day and you want to buy your dad a tie because you love him, right? So you steal 10 bucks from his wallet to buy him a tie. First of all, with 10 bucks, you're not going to be able to buy a very nice tie, so that's a lousy gift. But other than that, um, you have just unloved your dad. You want to show him love, so you do an act of unlove by stealing from him, which is cheating and lying and taking from him what doesn't belong to you. So, so it, it unravels the good, right? So how do you apply that to abortion? Well, because the evil method of killing a human being with intrinsic dignity and a right to life undoes the loving act you're attempting to do to the woman right? It, it undoes it. Now, here's the key. Here's where grace comes in. If somebody doesn't believe that the ultimate objective of my life is to do the good for the other, because they don't have the grace to see that, your argument about ends just don't justify the means falls on deaf ears. Nobody cares about that ethical principle. Well, why can't I make the ends justify the means if I want to? They have to care, and they're not going to care without grace. They're not going to care just because I tell them to. You right. have to be level three and four because it's better for you. Nobody's going to buy that. They're only going to buy into it with grace. So I have to pray for God's intercession in there. I have to be a strong witness and advocate for it, but I have to be a strong witness as well. Camille Pauly joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial. Camille is the co-founder of Healing the Culture, and that's what we're talking about, the, the culture war that we're currently in. I'm curious um, about something, Camille. Joe and I have said from the beginning, yeah, we're, we're here we, on our show, social media and Veritas. Uh, we're talking about uh, political issues, cultural issues, things like that. Ultimately, Joe and I want to bring people into the Catholic Church. And the reason why I bring that up is um, Dr. Bernard Nathanson was first converted from the from the most staunch pro-abortion advocate in New York. OK, um, him and I believe it was Lawrence Laver uh, really like spearheaded um you know, abortion in New York, while others were on the West Coast doing that, converted from pro-abortion to pro-life, and then subsequently converted from Judaism to Catholicism. Have you experienced that in, in your, um, over the last 25 years? Those who take the step from being pro-choice to pro-life, but then from non-Catholic to Catholic. I'm just I have, curious. I have seen it. I've seen it in college. I've seen it in my young adult life, and I've seen it in my professional career. Um, I had a friend once who joined our pro-life group, not because he was, uh, it was a Catholic pro-life group. He wasn't Catholic. He wasn't pro-life. He didn't really care about the issue, but he came for the treats. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> and he listened to our arguments over time and he watched us, right? He watched if we were consistent in our actions with what our words were. And he was so moved by this that he became radically pro-life, but he still wasn't Christian, but he would wear a rosary around his neck because he saw us doing it. And this is again, where witness comes in, right? We would witness to him in gentle ways. Well, we don't really wear this jewelry. It's a sacred thing for us. And by listening to us and watching how we actually followed what we believed, that this is a sacred thing, that this is important to us. You know, we believe in this. He eventually converted to Catholicism, and then he became a youth group minister in a church. So, uh, you know, these kind of transformations do happen. They're not, they're not that often, I would say, but grace, the lesson is grace does work. Grace is real, and it does work. Oh, there's mm -hmm. no question about that. There is no question about that. Um, I want to switch gears a moment and talk about Dobbs versus Jackson uh, Women's Health Organization, because um, I'm sure you've read a lot about it, and I'm interested in your opinion. Now, obviously, um, a lot of legal experts, I've read myself uh, about this um, extensively, they're basically saying that this is the best opportunity that Roe could potentially be overturned. Um, 
Will it be overturned? Uh, First Things recently ran a really good uh, piece on it. Robert George Opine, a number of people, and he thinks it will from a legal perspective. And that's what I want to hear basically from you. If you do think it's going to be overturned, strictly speaking from a legal perspective, why? Well, I, first of all, I'm not a lawyer, so uh, you know I can speak more to some other aspects about why I think it will be overturned. But I do think it will be overturned. Um, if not, it will be badly damaged. But I'm an optimist, and here's why I think it will be overturned. You you see in the arguments of the pro-abortion movement, you know, the pro-abortion attorney, such weakness. You know, she was beautiful, she was strong, she was articulate, but there's such weakness in her argumentation, and it was so apparent and obvious. You, you have Justice Clarence Thomas, who in the Dobbs hearing just continued to ask her, what's the what's the rights issue? What's the claim at stake here? And he asked it over and over and over again, and she wouldn't answer it. And finally she gets to it's it's liberty. It's the liberty interest of the mother. Okay, so so the woman has a right to liberty. Well, that's a fundamental natural right. It's an important one, right? We teach this at Healing the Culture. Every human being has natural rights that are part of our nature that cannot be, they can be violated, but they cannot be alienated from you. They can't be separated from you. They are part of your nature. Because you have deep intrinsic dignity given to you by God, I owe you a duty towards certain actions, right? Not to kill you, that's your right to life. Not to enslave you, that's your right to liberty. Not to unjustly take your property that has been justly earned or given to you or fairly given to you, right? That's your right to property. And so it's it's an important claim. We can't just ignore it or scoff at it. Yes, the woman has a right to liberty. But then you get Justice Samuel Alito coming and he says, well, at some point, doesn't the woman, doesn't the child have a claim to life? And the pro-abortion attorney acknowledged that. At some point, yes, there is a claim, a legitimate claim to life on the part of the fetus. And then you have to look at that and say, from a legal perspective, there's a principle called the hierarchy of rights. And that hierarchy claims that all rights, although they are equal in their status, they're not equal in their fundamentality. What that means is they naturally prioritize themselves, right? Life is a necessary condition for the very possibility of liberty. If you don't have life, liberty is a moot point. Liberty is a necessary condition for the very possibility of property, right? If I own you, then I own all your property by default. So you have to protect the more fundamental right in order for the less fundamental right to make any sense. So you've got life versus liberty. In this case, it's a, it's an open and shut case. You know, you have to protect the life right above the liberty interest of the mother. But then you come to the question of, but is the unborn child a human person? And that's the crux. Roe versus Wade was a terrible decision because you basically got these justices who are saying they're asking a bunch of biologists and scientists and medical doctors, you know, is the human, they they make this distinction between a, a human being and a human person. And then they ask them, is the unborn child a human person? Well, of course they don't know. This is a philosophical, you know, demarcation. They don't know. And so they say, well, we don't know. And so then they use this as an argument in their decision, Justice Harry Blackman uses this as an argument that, oh, scientists and doctors and biologists don't know whether uh, the unborn child is a human person, so how are we supposed to know? So therefore, go ahead and kill it. That was such a specious argument. The problem was that there was no understanding about the philosophy of the human person. Biologically, everybody knew this was a human being. 96% of all biologists acknowledge that the beginning of a human being's life is the moment of fertilization. Over 5,000 biologists from over 1,000 institutions have acknowledged this. We've always known this. And since then, we've been able to verify this through sonography and, you know, 3D ultrasound, uh, you know, doing surgeries on unborn children. So we know it's a human being, but is it a human person? Well, what is a human person? Personhood is signifies your moral worth and your legal protectability. And so the claim is now through Roe versus Wade, you are not a human person. You don't have moral worth that gives you legal protectability unless you're viable. And then you have some worth, but states can still regulate abortion. You can still have one for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. And then the art, so the argument comes back in the Dobbs decision, right? In the Dobbs case, why viability? You, you keep having um, justice, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Kagan. Kagan, no, not Kagan. Sotomayor. Um, the, the, pro, the pro-life one, the, the, the oh, newer Barrett. one. 
best. Thank you, Amy Coney Barrett. She keeps saying, she keeps bringing up, you know, why the viability standard? What's the significance of that? What does that have to do with anything? Is basically what her argumentation is going. Why vibe? Why do you have to be able to live outside the womb in order to be granted by the government your moral worth and dignity as a human person, and therefore be allowed to have protection under the law? What is it about viability? And by the way, who's really viable? Who among us can live on our own outside the womb? I can't. I need farmers and doctors and people not to shoot me, right? I mean, we all are vulnerable and dependent on each other. The standard of viability is not only arbitrary, it changes. You know, it used to be that babies who were less than 28 weeks could not live outside the womb, even with help. And now it's down to 22 weeks, even earlier. So that this is just a completely arbitrary, subjective line. So I think that just based from a legal standpoint, just based on the subjectiveness of that definition of when you get to have human rights and the violation of the natural rights and the hierarchy of rights, I just see that Roe's going to fall. You could see it in their questioning. Even if we don't get John Roberts, which I think we will, but even if we don't, I think we'll still well, I think we'll be successful. Well, when, you, when we spoke earlier, <coughs> Camille Pauly, co-founder uh, and president of Healing the Culture, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, uh, where we talked about conservatives are the ones we need to blame. Um, look, look squarely at John Roberts. He's the problem. He's been the problem. He throws conservatives a bone on things that don't really matter much to, to cultural conservatives and religious conservatives like us, and he stabs us in the back every other time. He's the enemy as far as I'm concerned. Okay, because he's he's no different than Sotomayor. He's no different than Kagan. I expect this from them. Okay, he won't even make an argument. Yeah, he's he's been, not. He is not going to go. He is not going our way in this case. Yeah, he's okay, been I'm a sorry, little I disappointing. No, he's been a little disappointing to say the least. But I have I have some hope for him. You know, I I, I don't know. Let's wait and see. I have well, let, let's pray for him. We'll pray, pray for, for him, him and see. But but then again, we don't need him necessarily for this case. You know, we. Camille, I mean, well, you you see. laid out that was a very, very, very effective, um, you know, argument from a scientific scientific perspective. I mean, everyone talks about science. I mean, you laid it out, um, and and frankly, the truth always cuts through the fog, and ultimately, Roe will fall. And say it does. How will your work shift? Because. Another thing I read in that First Things article is to be pro-life isn't just about the viability of the unborn. Let's talk about making life a little more easy for people who are open to life. How hard it is in this country to be pro-life, to follow what our church teaches. Diapers are 50 bucks a box. <laughs> I mean, like, let's be honest. I mean, this is where the Democrats, I'll be honest with you, yeah. are touching something. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no stability in corporate America. We're in, we're at employment at will. You get sacked. You're done. There's issues with insurance. Yeah. It's tough. Really good points. And the pro-life movement has worked for 50 years on some of these issues. I think that the way the pro-life movements work will change if Roe versus Wade is overturned. On the legal front, it will change. The battles will go back to the states. There'll be lots of battles in states where it's, um, you know, where it's on the line or where abortion is legal. Um, there'll be lots more protective work in states where it's already going to be against the law, where, where trigger laws will go into effect, making abortion automatically illegal, like here in South Dakota. Um, so I, I think on the legal front, you'll see a change. I think on the educational front, like where we are and on the pregnancy resource center and, and providing for women in their needs, um, in their desperation for seeking abortion, that work will stay the same. It will always stay the same because our opposition is right. Women will always seek abortion, not nearly in the numbers that they do now if it becomes illegal, because then the focus is on how do we help women and you'll have more people involved in that battle than the legal battle. Um, but you, women will still seek abortion. They always have, and so they always will. And so we will always need to be there. And the educational work that we do at Healing the Culture will not change. And that's exciting to me because it's a grace to work for the, the way we do. You know, to, it's kind of the, the more positive aspect of the movement where we get to talk to people about happiness and love and freedom and, you know, all these great, great terms and your human rights and all that. That work has to stay the same because you got to keep the culture. You know, we cannot sit on our laurels and say, oh, we won. Now we can do something else. No, you will always need to continue to battle Satan who will, he will be angry and he will rage and he will work even harder to destroy what we have gained. And so we will have to work even harder to continue to convince people that they are made in God's image and that this means something and you are responsible to others. Now, a lot of people get scared about that, Joe, because they say, well, 
I can't do this. You know, you're on the radio for an hour and you've been studying this for 30 years and you get to talk to Father Spitzer and you, you know, you know, how am I supposed to do that? I don't know how to talk about human rights and I don't know how to talk about ethical theory and I don't know how to talk about the definition of the human person. How am I supposed to do that? It's not as hard as you think. And um, maybe if we could segue a little bit, since we have just a little bit of time left, healing the culture has a ton of resources to help you do that. And most of them are free. You don't have to pay anything for them. You know, we have a website, healingtheculture.com. We have curricula for college students. One of the things we love to do is come to a college campus and we train college students who are already pro-life how to do this one-on-one with their peers, how to do this kind of argumentation using philosophy and reason, but also education of the heart when they're tabling, in their classrooms, with their professors, right? When they're in a dialogue at the lunch table, there's a lot of practicum that we do with them. So we teach them the whole philosophy and then we do practicum. It's a, it's a program called Life Advocacy Student Training. It's the ad- acronym is LAST. And, uh, and it's all free. We have benefactors who pay for that. So if you've got a kid at college or you are a college student, bring us to your college campus. We can train you how to do this. It's not as hard as you think. We have programs for high school kids um, on our website, healingtheculture.com. If you've got a high school student or you're involved in a school, maybe you're a teacher at a high school, Catholic high school, or maybe you teach religious education to the high school level, We have another program for high school students called Principles and Choices. It goes through the entire curriculum at a high school level. It's got drama, you know, audio drama. There's a play we wrote about two students who are one's pro-life and one's pro-choice, and they go through all this. And, uh, you know, there's a a game piece involved with it. There's video. um, There's, you know, there's teacher resources. It's all laid out for you. It's all easy to access. And um, you can get that at our website, healingtheculture.com. But I was talking with the superintendent of Catholic instruction at um, Seattle in the Archdiocese of Seattle several years ago. And she asked me, well, what do you have for kids? And I thought, oh boy, (laughs) philosophy for kids. This is going to be tough. I said, we haven't developed anything for little kids. And she said, you need to start younger because the kids in elementary school are being infected already. And we know that. I mean, look at what the transgender movement has done to kids, to, to our innocent kids. You need to start young. So you know, took, oh, Joe, yeah. there is a program. There yeah. is a program out there called Philosophy for Children. Um, now, it's not necessarily Catholic, uh, even though it could be applied in a Catholic way. I know because somebody very close to me uh, was heavily involved in that, who graduated from Fordham and then did this work at Montclair State College here in yeah. Jersey. Uh, there is a there is a school of thought, a pedagogy called Philosophy for Children. Yes, where there you is. Teach children these philosophical concepts and stop assuming that they are dumb or they're just little kids and they don't get philosophical concepts. They They can do do it. All right. They absolutely can do it. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. We think kids are just a bunch of little, they're sponges. They absorb, but they also have the capacity to understand. We realized that when we, we spent about seven years investigating this, studying it, trying different approaches, crashing and failing, and then picking ourselves up again. And we ended up creating a program called Philo and Sophie philosophy for children, right? Philo is a penguin who has a British accent. Sophie is a mermaid who's goofy. And then you have a furry red monster named Fred, because you have to have furry red monsters when you do kid shows. And we created a kid show, Philo and Sophie. It's on our website at healingtheculture.com. It's all free. It's like Sesame Street. It's these cute, hilarious, very professionally done little 12-minute video vignettes where kids learn about the four levels of happiness. They learn about the definitions of success and quality of life. We teach them the principle of non-contradiction to little five-year-olds, and they get it. And right? they get it. That you can't ha- it can't be a baby and not a baby at the same time. And same by time. the way, we don't even talk about abortion. We have no desire to violate the innocence of these kids. So we don't talk about abortion, but we give them arguments that later on, when they're hit with pro-choice arguments, that this is a baby if you want it to be and not if you don't, so you can have an abortion, they go, well, wait a minute. You can't violate the most basic principle of logic, non-contradiction, or we can't even have a conversation. These kids know it. And it's amazing yeah. how we've been able to do this with little kids. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Camille Poli joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. I do want to hand it over to Joe, but I just want to hark and make a quick comment um, that people need to understand. It's like Roe versus so many of this in, 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 in this whole fight, there seems to be so many of these idols that get made, these false idols. Okay. Um, Roe versus Wade needs to be overturned. We know that. And I'm not trying to suggest otherwise. Stop thinking in your mind that this is the, this is the golden calf of the pro-life movement. Abortion abolition. Because if Roe versus Wade is overturned, America is still a pro-abortion nation. And in some of those states within that nation, you could kill a baby right up to the moment of their birth. If Governor Northam has his way, you could kill the baby after they're born. 
Okay, so let's get it straight. I just wanted to comment on that. Yes, it's great when abortion goes back to the states. And like you said, South Dakota would have a trigger abortion abolition. Other states, same thing. But you're going to have plenty of New York's and California still left in this country. Okay, we need to fight the fight. Abortion, Roe versus Wade is overturned. Still need to pray in front of the abortion clinics. Still need to support the Sisters of Life and all the other Catholic organizations. Still need to witness the Catholic teaching. Still need to support healing the culture. Still need to do all these things because abortion is still with us. I'm sorry to go on a rant, Camille Pauly, but I just wanted to mention that. we need. It's an important step. But the fight continues. Joe Rasinello, where are we headed? Well, we only clearly, have about six I mean, minutes uh, left or so. I mean, we're clearly talking about a battle for hearts and minds. I mean, but ultimately, this is something that we say all the time, Camille, and I'm interested in, in your view on it. Abortion is about sex. You yes. see, when you're in a loving marriage that you feel that it's forever, meaning you made a vow before God, you're living a sacramental marriage, you're open to life. I could always remember my mother saying, I don't understand why someone would have an abortion. Well, the reason why they have an abortion is because it's a pleasure principle. I have no intention of being with you outside of this short amount of time that I'm going to be with you. Most times I'm intoxicated, but let's be honest. And this is what is the reason behind it. You see, it's about the contraceptive mentality. It's the, the sexual revolution, which has failed America. I know I'm being long-winded. Talk about that because you want to talk about getting to the root of the problem. There's the root. Yeah, I, th I, th I don't know that I could say it any more succinctly than you did, Joe. I, I think you're absolutely right. Satan has tricked us into um, completely denying our own sexuality, completely denying the gift of marriage, and now completely denying our own gender. And that's completely destructive because it's through those things that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Who is God, right? God is a trinity, and God is Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, often theologians will talk about the Father being the lover and the Son being the beloved one. Even Jesus called himself ha'agapetas, right? The beloved one. And the Holy Spirit is this love that exists simultaneously um, and, and co-equal to the love the lover and the beloved so you've got the lover loving the love who loves the beloved and that love is a reality between them and it makes this perfect trinity and their love is so pure and so whole and so real that it needs to move beyond themselves and it creates human beings right so how are we made in god's image through our sexuality our sexuality is the closest that we can get to imaging God's love. Why? Because it's through our sexuality that we can totally give ourselves to the other in an act of self-sacrificial love and then accept, totally accept the other back to us. And then through that love, the man to the wife, right? We are loving each other so fully and so holy and so totally and so real that Kimberly Hahn used to say, nine months later, you have to give that that love a name. You know, and that's that's beautiful. But when you deny marriage and you deny that gift of sex and you deny that commitment, right, then you no longer image Christ. And when you no longer see the image and likeness of God in yourself, you cannot see the image and likeness of God in an unborn child. It's all related and it's all tied together. And it all goes back to that greatest gift of sex. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that um what you just said when you use the word beautiful, it just struck in my mind because I always like um, remember that it's it's what the church proposes that we we always must seek the good, the true, and, and the, the beautiful. beautiful. And, but that's what's going on in this culture war. Everything has been the, the devil is a master at what he does. Father Karapi used to say all the time, "Don't get in the ring with him, man. He'll wipe <laughs> you up and down the ring." Okay, and that's what. The, but that's the tactic that he uses. He's taking the good. Oh, he's taken the ugly and he's made it beautiful. He's taken the lie, he's made it to truth. Okay, um, and, uh, and 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 um, and 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 all of it. And he's taken the evil, and we're talking about abortion and euthanasia, which is intrinsically evil. He's taken the evil and he's made it a good thing. So much to the point where in American culture, you're a fascist and you're an evil person, and in some in some circles they call you racist. Don't ask me how that works. We want to save black babies. They want to kill oh, them. Okay. Just, you just let it bounce all right these off things. Of you. Yep. And, and I just want to just say that, Camille, I'm going to throw it back to you for the next minute and a half, uh, two minutes, because then we're going to have to go. But give us a little comment on that and maybe some final thoughts and where our audience can find you, your organization, know more about you, and most importantly, contribute. The most effective pro-lifer you can be is to let those insults just bounce right off of you the way Jesus did. Just let them bounce off of you because it's a, it's a red herring. And go instead for the jugular. 
I love you and I care about you and you are underliving your life. And I'm not going to stop talking about that unless you don't want to hear it. And if you don't want to hear it, I'm not going to stop praying for you. You just let those bounce right off of you. Love is where our movement is. And we need to, we need to put our mouth where our money is. We need to put our money where our mouth is. We need to show that to people and and express. I mean, it's not that hard. Healingtheculture.com has tools for you. Most of them are free. You know, use Philo and Sophie with your little kids, grandparents, use them with your grandchildren. You could sit down and watch a 12 minute episode with them. And then there's all kinds of parent pieces and games and resources you can implement in a classroom or a religious education program. The high school program principles and choices, um, you know, is, is awesome. And then, oh, and we have another website, respectlife.university. It's real easy to remember. Respectlife.university is for adults and college students. It has it's kind of like PragerU, only pro-life. It's got a bunch of little short five-minute clips on what about life of the mother? What about rape and incest? What about disabilities? All those hard questions to answer. We've got all of our principles articulated the way that we are special and unique way of articulating using those four levels of happiness and those principles that are critical to civilization to help you answer those questions and to, you know, use those, those videos to pass on to other people. So you don't have to just learn it yourself. You can virally pass those on to other people. So respectlife.university. Awesome. Joe Racinello, 30 seconds, final thoughts. Well, I'll be honest with you. This was an amazing conversation because um, to be truthful with you, I think you're getting to the root of the issue. Um, and that's so important. I mean, we are Catholic. And ultimately, I think we have to look to Our Lady. What made her special? She was open to God. A lot of the things you said make perfect sense. But we as Catholics, we're a but. I'm Catholic, but. We have to lose the butt. We're yes, going to leave. Exactly. We're going to leave it there. Camille Pauly, co-founder and president of Healing the Culture. We want to thank you so much for joining us at the front thank line you. with Joe and Joe. We definitely will have you back in the future. Hopefully we could have Father Robert Spitzer on too. Get him in here. Let him mix it up with Joe and Joe a little bit. That'll that would be, be awesome to see. Absolutely. We thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 1039 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. That's where you're going to find a lot of programming, but that's Joe and my channel there. Um, And we ask you to like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. 